G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane. I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. So folks, um, this month, we actually reached back 500 years in history uh, because 500 years ago, this very month, we celebrate an event uh, that happened on the 31st of October, 1517. 500 years, this very month. Uh, and all that flowed from that event uh, in the days and weeks and months and uh, years and decades and centuries uh, that have followed. It was a big... Now, do you know the event that I'm talking about? On the 31st of October, 1517, the Protestant Reformation began, you see, when a monk named Martin Luther posted his 95 theses, his 95 bullet points, if you will, uh, posted them in the mail, first of all, to the Archbishop of Mainz, uh, and then... I guess with actual nails or something similar, he posted them on the door of uh, All Saints Church in Wittenberg in Germany. Now, now why did Luther do that? And, and, and why does that matter? <laughs> you might be wondering. Um, well, two, two things in terms of reasons. Firstly, Luther, as a, a Christian um, well, monk and as a pastor, he really felt conscience-bound, actually, to expose the layers of corruption in the church of his day and he did it in the genuine hope that his superiors, as they got wind of the things that he was seeing, would listen and would address the rot and would sort things out. They didn't but he wouldn't let it go. Uh, Secondly, second reason and more importantly, even more drivingly for Luther, Luther wanted the light of the gospel of the glory of the Lord Jesus to shine for the sake of actual men and women, to shine for the souls of men and women the world over, uh, to shine brightly, unimpeded by corruption and mess and nonsense and error about God and about how to be saved, so that ordinary people could hear the gospel heed the gospel, embrace it in all of its beauty, be saved by it. And so now, today, 500 years after that moment, I think we can confidently look back and say, well, that's exactly what came to pass. Ordinary people, like you and me. I'm sorry if that's an insult. I'm ordinary. Ordinary people like you and me, we can confidently say, yep, I've understood the gospel, I have grasped it. I hold it firm with clarity and for my salvation, partly because of this one man and his influence and uh, the events of the 31st of October, 1517. So next week, we're going to have a bit more of a look at the particular content of those 95 uh, theses and their, uh, the, the narrow issue they were addressing. This week, we're going to be focusing on the text that Luther identifies as the one that changed his life, where he came to see things clearly for the first time in in a different way. Before we get to that, let's pray together. Our God in heaven, our everlasting Father, we remember this morning that we stand on the shoulders of giants, men and women who didn't see themselves as giants, but 
Gosh, they have had a formative effect on us. Father, you have been God since the very beginning. You have been God since before the beginning and you will be our God into eternity. But you are our God today, of us, of our generation. And so, God, as your eternal word unfolds before us this morning, may our hearts come untangled before you and before one another. May we better understand ourselves in light of your good word. May we properly and rightly understand and see and adore you. May we be moved, God, toward the version of ourselves that you would have have us become and that you have designed us to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask it in his name. Amen. So let's begin with a few words from the past then, from Luther particularly. And I reckon these words, they come to us today as a clear, but yes, a heavy kind of a voice from history. They, they give words to a, a creeping kind of a dread, I think, that perhaps we feel before the Lord from time to time. So as I read them, I wonder if you can relate to something of Luther's state of mind, something of his frustrations, his misgivings, his, the deep trouble of his soul over this particular phrase that he found in his Bible that we just had read to us a few moments ago. In fact, a particular word. I wonder if you can um, relate to the way Luther encountered that word. He says, it was not... It was not the cold blood about the heart, but a single word in Romans chapter 1, which says, in it the righteousness of God is revealed. That word that had stood in my way. For I hated that word, righteousness of God which according to the use and custom of all the teachers, I had been taught to understand as the righteousness with which God is righteous and punishes the unrighteous sinner. Folks, this morning, we we do call God many things, don't we? We already have this morning in our prayers, in our time together, in our song, our Father refuge, God of all comfort. And those things strike a certain note, don't they? Everlasting, you know, rock, faithful, protector, gracious. But then we come across this one, righteous. And I think that strikes a different note in our hearts, doesn't it? And I wonder, does that word arouse perhaps a very different response within us to some of those softer, gentler kind of terms? And especially for some of us, and especially just some of the time, uh, depending on perhaps how well we've managed to do this week or even this morning. Righteous God. Or as we consider Christ's righteous life, you know, his perfect, spotless, blameless, sinless, holy, exactly, perfectly, everything done to a T, life. Why is that? Well, because it stirs up a bunch of other ideas, doesn't it? Righteous judge of all mankind, holy and perfect, pure and just 
God of righteous judgment over a sinful world, even a sinful me. And so Luther's voice from the past continues. He says, though I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt that I was a sinner before God with an extremely disturbed conscience. I could not believe that he was placated by my satisfaction, as in my satisfaction, that is nothing that I do, let's be honest, can sweep my sin under the carpet before a holy God. He's God. I mean, Luther was no fool and he took God for no fool. Nothing I can muster can smooth things over. I could not believe that he was placated by my satisfaction. He goes on, I did not love, yes, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners and secretly, if not blasphemously, certainly murmuring greatly, I was angry with God and said, as if it is not enough that miserable sinners, eternally lost through original sin, are crushed by every kind of calamity by the law of the Ten Commandments without having God add pain to pain by the Gospel threatening us with His righteousness and wrath. He's talking about Romans chapter 1, verse 17, our text for today, folks, for in the Gospel a righteousness from God is revealed and thus says Luther, thus I raged with a fierce and troubled conscience. Nevertheless, I beat importunately upon Paul at that place, most ardently desiring to know what St Paul wanted. Now, folks, I know it's uh, odd words, strange words, ardently this and satisfaction that, but can you relate to something of Luther's quandary, what Luther's feeling there? Perhaps he puts it stronger than we would? You know, hated and all the rest, we might want to tone it down just a little bit. But the main thrust, because I'll tell you, as we turn to that very passage that angered, frustrated, um, confounded his brilliant mind, Luther was a brilliant man that tormented his sensitive soul, that overawed even this freakishly self-disciplined monk... I reckon his call to us today would be something like this. If you are someone who perhaps you don't even like to think about God in these terms, but if you are someone who even just from time to time you take a look at your life and you're disappointed, uh, disappointed in what you've become perhaps or in how you've carried yourself, in, in, in the wreckages left behind, not necessarily big wreckages, even just small wreckages. I'm talking about regret along the way. And if you're someone who, no, you may not like to think about God particularly very much or in these terms very often, righteous, impeccable, all-remembering and ferociously fair, a God who demands an account of our every thought and decision, of what we've done with our hands, what we've done with our mouths, what we've done with our eyes and tongues and hearts, And yet within yourself, you're a person who yearns to live a life that you can describe as good. Uh, Not a life that is just good in terms of, how much can I get away with? How much good can I leech out of life? No, I don't mean that. I mean much more wholesome. Good as in leaves a dent in this world for good. 
Good as in the life that anyone would look back on and say, theirs was a life lived well. Well then, friends, this morning, I think Romans chapter 1, I think Luther would have three things to lay before us from Romans chapter 1. I'll give them to you in brief and then we'll dive into them. Firstly, that God's righteousness, God's righteousness is very much for us comes from God for us. Secondly, in His righteousness, He gives sinners like us a righteousness that we need only receive. We don't have to achieve it, we just receive it. That's secondly. And lastly, if His righteousness can even reach us where we are in life, then it can reach our world. It has come from God to us, So let it go from us to those yet unrighteous. I think we're going to see those things. Firstly, God's righteousness comes very much for us. From God, yes, but for us. Uh, Not from Him, against us, from Him to crush us, from Him to ruin us. God's righteousness is for us. Uh, Now let's let's walk part of this journey with Luther still. Uh, Tell me, what's the impression that you've got of, of Luther so far, I wonder? Uh, especially if you, some of you know his name, know what he did, you've read the biography or whatever, uh, but some of us, perhaps you're coming at it fairly cold and you're thinking Martin, Martin Luther, it's not the same as the uh, black civil rights activist. No, that was Martin Luther King Jr., different guy. Martin Luther, the monk in Germany. What's your impression of Martin Luther so far, I wonder? This monk with a, this heavily laden conscience, but not because he'd done terrible things, he hadn't particularly but because he saw how terribly even ordinary, ordinary sins blemish and break and bust up our relationship with a pure and righteous God and Heavenly Father. I did not love, yes, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners and secretly, if not blasphemously, certainly murmuring greatly, I was angry with God. But do you know... For Luther, he came to see that very same verse, Romans chapter 1, verse 17, in these terms, once he unlocked its meaning. He described it like this, Thus that place in Paul was for me truly the gate to paradise. Is that a turnaround? Uh, let's have a look. Uh, the, the tragedy was he'd so fixated, you see, on that, that one terrifying word for him. Uh, that he'd ignored, he'd lost sight of the sense of the whole sentence, he'd lost the flow of the whole paragraph, he'd lost the the tone of the entire chapter. Uh, So let's read it together now, just from verses 16 and 17. Please look down at your Bible or up on the screen with me and let's read along together. Uh, And I hope I'm faithfully representing Paul's tone here, you'll be able to evaluate that for yourself, where he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God for, for what? For the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. In other words, the the non-Jew. In other words, it's for everyone, isn't it? Jew and non-Jew. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God, there's the phrase, is revealed a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written... The righteous will live by faith. 
So in the gospel uh, uh, um, of Jesus, Paul is saying, in the gospel of Jesus, um, and do hear this, you with a heavy heart before a righteous judge, you who the righteousness of God gets down, it gets you down from time to time. In the gospel, what gets revealed for all the world to see? Yes, the power of God. That's there in verse 16. Yes, the righteousness of God. But it is, verse 16, for what? It is for salvation. It results, verse 17, in life. The righteous will live by faith, not die, be crushed, be judged, be destroyed, shall live. There is God's intent in this whole business of revealing His righteousness from heaven. Now, I know I haven't told you how that works yet, and we're going to get to that in just a few moments. Uh, But can we just notice this? Somehow, the judge of all the earth, the righteous God in heaven, holy and unapproachable, when He reached into this world that He might be known, that He might be seen, that He might be revealed as God in power, it was for what? It was for salvation and life, and as we'll see, for everyone even for you. Thus, that place in Paul was for me truly the gate to paradise, do you see, for Luther. Now, how does that work? (laughs) How does that work? Um, Surely I'm either righteous or I'm not, and I know which side of that divide I stand on, uh, ladies and gentlemen, before a holy God, and I suspect you do as well. Uh, Well, as the letter to the Romans unfolds, It becomes crystal clear how Paul can get so excited about a righteous God coming to show how righteous he is in the presence of sinners. Uh, And I'd like to give you a a, a one-sentence summary of that. Um, I'll say it twice slowly and then we'll see it in the the pages of Romans. Um, How is it that Paul can get so excited about a righteous God coming to show off his righteousness in a world full of sinners? Well, it's, it's this, our righteous God shows His righteousness by having the righteous Christ bear our unrighteousness and so He gives us a righteousness to receive that we could never achieve for ourselves. Let me say that once more. I know it's a complex and long sentence. Our righteous God shows His righteousness by having the righteous Christ bear our unrighteousness and so He gives us a righteousness to receive that we could never have achieved on our own. Now, it sounds dense, I know, but it is beautifully simple. Come with me to Romans chapter 3, if you would, if you're following along. Romans chapter 3, and let's pick it up from verse 21, where Paul returns. Just look at the words to the very same thought that he was introducing, just beginning to unpack there in chapter 1. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. uh, But now a righteousness from God has been made known, yes, apart from the law, has been made known, verse 22, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? Exactly the same words as chapter 1. And I hope it's clear, Paul is, he's warming up now to explain how this 
could be. How is God's righteousness such great news? How is it a gospel at all uh, to people like you and me who don't necessarily like the sound of a righteous God showing up and bent on exercising his righteousness and power? It sounds rather threatening. Well, uh, firstly, the bad news, verse 22, there is no difference, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, verse 24, are justified or made righteous, it's the same word, justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ. God presented him, that is Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. And now this is the important bit, these next two verses that I read. And I just want you to know uh, that the, the words there for justice, those justice sounding words, are exactly the same words as the righteous kind of words in, uh, in the original there, in the Greek. It's just that in English, when you're sort of talking verbs and nouns, we use a different one, uh, but it's the same word. And I'll explain as we go. Uh, so verse 25, he did this. God did this, God had Jesus die in our place. He did this to what? To demonstrate his justice, to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he'd left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it, that is, had Jesus die in our place. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Let me just read verse 26 again. God had Jesus die in our place. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be righteous and the one who makes righteous those who have faith in Jesus. How could it possibly be great news that God could show up bent on showing us all his righteousness when you and I and Martin Luther know that we're all sinners. I'll tell you how, because when he showed up to show off his righteousness, he showed up in Christ taking our place, taking your place and letting us off. Do you see, God won't sweep your sin under the carpet. Jesus death shows us that he's too righteous for that. No, no, he'll punish sin, he'll judge sin, he'll deal with sin fully. He won't sweep your sin under the carpet. But nor will God sweep sinners away in righteous judgment because as far as he's concerned, well, Christ has dealt with it. Christ died for it, so you don't need to anymore. Oh, you believer in the Lord Jesus. He had Jesus die in our place to, what does it say, to demonstrate his righteousness so as to be righteous and the one who makes righteous those who have faith in Jesus. You are righteous before God right now. Do you know that, Christian? You are righteous before God right now. Do you realise that sinner whose faith is in the Lord Jesus? Now, I don't know what you've done. I don't know the things that make you uncomfortable before the concept of a righteous God coming in power and righteousness. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what you did yesterday. I don't know what you did last week or last summer or... John Stott puts it like this. 
He says, God's love must be wonderful beyond comprehension. God could have left us alone to reap the fruit of our wrongdoing and to perish in our sins, but He did not. It takes a hard and stony heart to be unmoved by love like that. It is more than love. Its proper name is grace, which is love to the undeserving. So, folks, this morning, let me put a very blunt question to you. Are you able to receive this righteousness from God as a completely free gift? We call that faith, by the way, don't we? We just trust We put our faith in, we have faith in God's verdict over us in Christ. Will you receive it as a gift? Or will you keep trying to achieve it, achieve your standing uh, before God for yourself? It's, It's a question about how we see our standing before God, isn't it? Will you receive it all from Him, completely passive, accepting a verdict over your life that is better than what you would deserve and better than what you could have done and certainly better than what we have done? Will you receive it from Him completely passive, entirely as a gift? Because I want to say, I think that's actually very hard. Isn't there something within each of us that says, I want to stand on my own two feet, I don't want, to, I don't want anyone's charity and I certainly don't want, we, you know, we don't do well depending on anyone, do we? Especially someone that we can't see especially someone that we can't pay back, especially someone that we can never hope to even put in our debt. God could have left us alone, but He did not. Or as it says in chapter 1, for in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. So finally then, finally, as we move towards something of a conclusion, would you please take a look with me just at a couple of verses before our text today. So we've been focusing on verses 16 and 17 of Romans chapter 1. Just have a look with me at the couple of verses just before that because, um, of course, these verses, they come at the beginning of what? Of a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Roman church. Paul was an apostle of Jesus, as he said, uh, and James read it to us before. Um, He was an apostle of Jesus, and yet he was an ordinary man, Paul was, gripped by the same gospel that he preached, saved on the same same basis as you or I. And in fact, did you realise this? Uh, Very much like Luther, actually, Paul had experienced one of the most stringent religious upbringings that you can imagine. And so to him, this idea, this gospel message of righteousness that saves even sinners, gosh, that was good news for Paul. Um, Have a listen to the grip of the gospel of Jesus on Paul's heart here, where he says, I am obligated, verse 14, read with me there, verse 14 of Romans chapter 1, I am obligated, says Paul, both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, 
a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And again, uh, John Stott makes this perceptive little comment, perhaps a comment about just how much the gospel has gripped our hearts today or how little the gospel has gripped our hearts today when he says, uh, reflecting on that, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, when he says, many of us today would have to confess, if we're honest, that we are ashamed of the gospel. Paul declared that he was not Mind you, Paul had just as many reasons to feel reluctant or embarrassed as we do. Rome was the symbol of imperial pride and power. People spoke of it with awe. Everybody hoped to visit Rome at least once in their lifetime in order to look and stare and wonder. But who was this fellow Paul who wanted to visit the capital city, not as a tourist, but as an evangelist? and who believed he had something to say which Rome needed to listen to? What folly and presumption was this? According to tradition, Paul was an ugly little guy with beetle brows, bandy legs, a bald pate, a hooked nose, and had a bad eyesight and no great rhetorical gifts. (laughs) So what could he hope to accomplish against the proud might of imperial Rome? Would he not be wiser to stay away? Or if he must visit Rome, would it not be prudent for him to keep his big mouth shut, lest he be laughed out of court and hustled out of town? Evidently, Paul did not think so. And folks, this morning, um, I would like to boldly put it to you today, are there parts of your life, are there people perhaps in your life before whom you are overawed, in whose midst you feel pretty feeble, really. Beside them, you feel like a, how did he put it? Ugly little guy with beetle brows, bandy legs, a bald pate, a hooked nose, bad eyesight and no great rhetorical gifts. If you have people in your life like that, they just seem to soar along. And then there's you. Small, unimpressive, awkward, the world revolves around them and not at all around you. Well, may I encourage you with this? In the gospel, the righteousness of God has been revealed and it is a righteousness that is received simply by faith. So never mind your standing before God. He has given you an eternal standing, an unassailable standing. You can stand in the presence of of the righteous Lord God Almighty himself and he will look upon you with the affection that he looks upon his one and only son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are in Christ, our standing is his righteousness. Such is our standing before the righteous Lord God Almighty himself. Now look again at that intimidating, impressive person in your life. Imagine for a moment that they too came to see Christ as you've come to see him, came to faith in Christ as one day they might. See, may I suggest the righteousness of God, that saving righteousness, has the power to not only change our salvation before God, oh, it does that, but to change the way that we see our place in the world, the way that we carry ourselves before others, even the kind of dent that we might hope to leave in this world by our lives. 
in the help of his Holy Spirit. So we'll close with this from Luther. Here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we confess that most of the time we live our lives not giving particular thought to your glory and majesty, to these eternal matters of of your righteousness and our standing before you. Perhaps we should give them more thought. Uh, But God, thank you that in the gospel we find a righteousness that is surprising, that is undeserved, and that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, a standing before you with the power to change how we carry ourselves in the world. And Father God, we pray, would you please use us as the ambassadors of Jesus in the various parts of our lives, not overawed by the people around us, but delighted to live for Christ wherever we are. Use our words, O God, use our actions, Uh, We pray, calm our anxieties and our worries and troubles in the light of the standing that we have before you in our great Saviour, Jesus. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.